Ladies and gentlemen, followers of the dark gods alike, I, the champion of Slanesh, the greatest duelist in the universe, Lucius the Eternal, will entertain you tonight. I shall cut down every champion that steps forward who wishes to test their skills against my blade. However, I am not the only entertainment. You may also indulge your senses and listen to the podcast Chaos Divided with your hosts Nurgle, Snurgle, and Blushing Noise Marine. Now, listen closely. As they tantalize your ears, I shall entertain you by showing you the true meaning of pain. Let us begin. Welcome to Chaos Divided, your weekly dose of Wholesome Hammer. If you're a fan of what we do, we hope you'll subscribe and follow us along, and if you'd like to support us directly, you can find us on patreon.com slash chaosdivided40k. I'm excited to have our extra special guest, Blood God, start us off with a quote. Brothers, welcome to the feast. Tell me, which of you shall be the first course? Quote from Lucius the Eternal, from the sixth edition chaos marine codex oh so good thank you also happy new year happy new year everybody welcome to the first show of the new year first episode of season two we made it season two we're all still alive the world did not implode that was only 2012 that was supposed to happen. Now we just, or I guess to end 2000. I'm just it's so- now changed to 2029. I'm just hoping the well, Chaos God show up and start There's like a, a meteor that's supposed to come. Yeah, like you know, we're just going to Armageddon this hit stuff. Us. <laughs> Every year's a new apocalypse. I'm waiting for the year yeah. of like 2030 when the rift opens and chaos becomes real. I'll be like, <gasps> yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, that's you'd want to die fast, but you'd die good. Oh no, I'm joining Cornside. Okay, now <laughs> now picture corn. this. You're downtown, mm-hmm. you look up, mm-hmm. and you see a drop pod. Mm. What do you do? Uh, first, identify the colors. Second, make an assessment. Three, decide if I'm going to run or kneel. <laughs> you're going to kneel regardless. It depends on the color <laughs> of the drop pod. If it's red, I'm booking it. You're all on your own. Okay, what color do you want to see? Blue. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which blue, though? Which blue with gold trim or green with black trim would be professional pre- preferential anything else is just well we're we're we're, we're nope no we're in trouble now and if there's lightning that could be a lightning. question for the, the i week. mean green <laughs> green and like white like the like dark angels could be like potentially not yeah, potentially what about we'll, white scars White scars? Jeez, white scars? Yeah, yeah, that could be fine. I'm just saying, if it, if it's a blue drop pod and there's lightning course getting across it, oh, um, yeah. just sh- just that load a pistol wings? and shoot yourself right off the bat. That, that you, skin? You know what that is? Like, is that is that a skin cloak on the pod? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> With a no, fabulous bile. <laughs> I wonder how easy it is to tell the difference between a night lord's or a thousand suns drop pod when they're coming at you. Because mm-hmm. like there's very similar color schemes. 
from a distance and you'd be like, oh, Thousand Sons, things are about to get, oh no, oh no, those are Night Lords. Oh no. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yep. You ever wonder where, where Fabius Bile is getting rid of all that extra skin left over? Now you know. <laughs> I just picture drop pods like um, NASCAR with a bunch of locos. I just imagine Fabius Bile standing there with a wad of cash in his hand, counting 20s as you see three Night Lords rolling out these barrels full of skin out of some kind of vault on his planet. Yes. He shakes hands with one of them. One of them, thank you. Tell no one. <laughs> I mean, who would Anyways. ever even listen to a Night Lord? <laughs> You'd have to what? stop long enough to... Who would actually listen to a Night Lord? You'd have to stop long enough to talk to them and not end up flayed. That is very true. <laughs> Although if you did listen to them, it would sound very beautiful and flowery because that's the sound of their language. Oh, right. For real? Yeah. Nostroman is actually referred to as gangster's poetry because it is so flowery and elegant, but it's really <laughs> guttural. And I know I just cursed there. I apologize. Um, like, for instance, Shril la laïs is a phrase from the Straman, and it means whore that mates with dogs. Wonderful. Yeah. Very nice. Sounds pretty, but it's terrible. <laughs> well, on that happy note. <laughs> so this week we are breaking down the champions of chaos, and you can yeah. tell we have chaos on the mind. Not just any champions, but the four major champions of each of the Chaos Gods. Well, they're, you know, if you're like the champion of like the word bearers, nobody cares who you are. No, they don't care no. who you are. Oh, yeah, they that's. Don't care. They don't care. You're worshiping everybody. You're just dipping your toes in each one of the pools. Just dive in, baby. What about the Iron Warriors? Iron Warriors don't like, the Iron Warriors don't like demons. But they, do they have a champion? Who's their like Legion uh, Master right now? Yeah, he's uh, um, he, he starts with an H. Hugo, here at Harbo. <laughs> I, I know he has a big a big metal arm. I just can't remember his name right now. But he's he's nothing special. Ouch! Well, they don't even have models. Mm -mm. Like there's models for like weird offshoot pirate legion war bands and nothing for yeah. the Iron Warriors. They got Vastor. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Vastor's there. <laughs> Just floating ha amongst oh, oh, them. Oh, Hanzu. That's his name. Hanzu. Warp, uh, Warpsmith Hanzu. Yeah, that's lame. Wars <laughs> yeah, Warpsmith Hanzu of the Iron Warriors. Yeah, he's, he's, he's nothing. He's fine. He's all right. Blah, blah. So who are these four Chaos Champions that we should know all about? Well, we got Karn the Betrayer. Lucius the Eternal, Typhus, host of the Destroyer Hive, and Azek Araman, former banished member of the Thousand Sons, now back to being their chief librarian. Or sorcerer, as it would be. So what makes them champions? Well, it makes what makes them champions is the amount of chaos boons and gifts they've they have received from their gods. And that's generally how champions of chaos define how powerful they are. The more you do in the name of your god, the more favor you get, the more attention you get, the more gifts you get, and eventually you can grow to demonhood. And I'd say these four individuals are as close as it, you can come to like that last step of becoming demon, like a full demon prince, if, like potentially. I feel like they're even actually more powerful than demon princes. 
Well, they definitely like, are. Like to rise to like they to ascend to being a demon prince would actually like relegate some of their power because part of it is in their like like they still have their mortality in some ways. They still have their own ambition. They still have yeah. their own will and whims that they can do. And I think the Chaos Gods enjoy that. Because when you become a demon prince, it, just like Bellacor, though you say my will is my own, your will is whatever the Chaos Gods want it to be. I think they actually enjoy letting these four mortals do their thing. And it's like a show for them. It's like, what's Karn going to do today to make me happy? <laughs> It's either that or it's like, oh, look, it's a rerun of Karn the Betrayer. I know exactly what it's going to do to make me happy because he's a part of me right now. Okay, fair. This is just more entertaining for them because it's a game. It's pieces they don't know what they're really going to do. I'm just picturing Korn, like, putting his feet up after a hard day and, like, turning on the television. Like, <laughs> oh, what yeah. Channel, channel the Karn. Karn. <laughs> There's there's an audio drama called Chosen of Corn, and there's a part where it's described the warp is doing something, and I literally imagine Car Corn sorry, Corn doing that, flicking the tube on, and then suddenly yeah. just gets the planet. It's like, ah yes, there's my boy right there. Is there like a an um a show just like The Bachelorette? <laughs> it's card, but instead he hands out skulls. Oh yeah, you get this skull. Actually, I think it'd be a little bit of reverse where it's just his berserker. Oh, I take up, your skull. He, yeah, I take your skull today. Jing. You guys aren't handing a skull, but inside of the skull is a plasma pistol, and he just like shoots them in the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm into this type of 40k entertainment. Mm-hmm. I mean, those four, those four get into so many different shenanigans. Like, I can't see why the Chaos Gods wouldn't enjoy that. You got Typhus infinitely fighting with his own dad. Lucius, who is just... That's just a whole bag of fun. That's a whole sitcom in itself. Azek Araman is like watching your favorite, you know... I guess, nerd channel. And Karn the Betrayer is sports. I feel, I feel like Araman is also just like the never-ending tragedy boss. Like, you know when you're, mm -hmm. like, you're caught watching, like, a car accident or something? I feel like that's just Zinch watching Armin and just being like, how bad do I let this get? And the answer is always more. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna let this keep going. It's like Simpsons. It never ends. You yeah. think it will, but it never ends. Armin what thinks it's, like, one what more bit of knowledge. Oh, Lucius is just a whole sitcom in himself. That dude, he would be a sitcom. Oh, he'd be a one-man show. If there yeah, wasn't yeah. so much murder, it would be actually quite zany. Yeah. Let's, uh, Maybe like a game show? <laughs> mm, I don't know. I can't see a game show. No, it'd be more like a, like a, like an, a 90s like sitcom only instead of like Lucius. Married and with Lucius. Family. It's like Lucius <laughs> just talking to his armor and all the souls screaming out of it as he like yeah. gets up to shenanigans. I was gonna say instead of the crowd clapping and laughing, it's either screaming and ah! wailing. Yeah. Because <laughs> like Lucius just goes out of his way to do things in the hardest possible way at times to like entertain himself. He's like, yeah. <laughs> one of his biggest enemies is his own boredom. That is hundred percent true. Oh, so it's like him. Lucius and friends, but he is his own friend. I mean, he has his own like again. war band. He has like, there are people that like follow Lucius still. Oh, it's like not the a, second not largest a... Emperor's Children. So the Emperor's Children is one of like the most fragmented legions. Um, mm, yeah. Eidolon like controls the largest portion, but Lucius has like the second largest contingent of Emperor's Children. 
And he mostly just goes around the galaxy doing whatever he wants and like plundering and raiding and mostly just looking for challenges. But we'll get into him later. Exactly. We'll come back to him. Our first person we're speaking about is my boy, my friend, my pal, my favorite, should have better rules, but doesn't wish he was like he was in the lore as he was on the tabletop, Karn the Betrayer. That was not scripted at all. Those two just like spontaneously <laughs> broke out into that, and I got to just watch them like cheer into a microphone for everyone at home that was unscripted i was not expecting that when it comes to karn you you got to you absolutely have to so where to begin with our axe wielding friend uh, yeah yeah what do you guys maybe think? at the what beginning well the beginning the first thing i do know about karn is that he was terran born originally uh before he ever met Angron during his travels in the dark, in the uh, great crusade. He was part of what was known as the Warhounds Legion. One of the first legions that the emperor had made to go out into the galaxy and find the primarchs. It wasn't until they found Angron and had their little incident with him on the ship that they became bonded. You see a um, little short part about Karn and Angron here. When Angron was captured by the Emperor and brought onto the flagship of the, of the uh, Warhounds, which at that time was called the Adamant Resolve, Captain upon Captain upon Captain, even the Chapter Master, had gone down to talk to Angron and he had killed each one of them. And the reason they didn't fight back in any way, shape, or form was that the Emperor had ordered them not to lay a hand upon Angron. So they'd walk into the room and they'd just get torn apart. However, when Karn went down there, he actually fought back. He went into the dark room and he felt Angron's presence and then he was bashed really hard into a wall and Angron was upon him, but he did fight back against the Primarch. In the last couple moments where the Primarch could have killed him, Karn, laying on his back in a bloody mess on the deck, started telling Angron the stories of his legion, the honor that they had searched for, searching for him, what they had hoped to do, and all the battles that they had done, and he would be proud to die a warrior here at his feet, knowing what he had done during his time. And that's where that love story started. Then they just became best bros. <laughs> <laughs> they really did. Well, Karn always wanted to be closer to Angron. Yeah, he did. Like, um, the world leaders, I think, overall wanted to, like, understand Angron, but I think Karn really, like, led that charge. Like, he wanted to feel as his father felt. He did. I mean, he even went against what a lot of the, what general um, equeries would do. An equerry is someone that each of the Primarchs had one in the Legion. It was someone that they could sit down with, a fellow Legionary who they could talk to as if they were a friend. Like, there's no rank, there's no anything. This is like, if I need to talk to somebody about something serious that I can't figure out, I'm going to talk to you about it in confidence. And generally the job of the equerry was to be the counter to whatever the Primarch was thinking. If the Primarch wanted to go to war, their job was to speak about reasons maybe why they shouldn't go to war, or let's look at this from a different point of view. Karn didn't do that. You are correct. He actually wanted to be so much like his Primarch that he actually antagonized Angron into making those decisions about like making planetfall and attacking. Angron's like, I think we should attack. 
Karen's like, yep, let's attack. Let's do it. Sounds like a good idea, Dad. Let's go. Let's <laughs> launch those pods. Get the boys down there. Let's do this thing. Nine times out of ten, Karn was like attached to the hip, but with Angron on the battlefield. Then they would separate every now and then, but they would always be close together. But where does the epithet of the betrayer come from? So the epithet of the betrayer. Um, originally, Karn never had that nickname, the betrayer. Originally, he was known as Karn the Bloody or Karn the Twice Slain because he had died twice and came back. The betrayer affectation came to him later, after the horse heresy. When the traitors were chased back into the Eye of Terra, they all went into a bit of a civil war themselves, vying and fighting for land and uh, resources in the Eye. And one of these uh, these planets that they landed on, the two factions, which were the Emperor's Children and the World Eaters at the time, was a planet known as Skelethrax. On Skelethrax, the planet had a cycle where when night came, it was absolutely freezing. Like if you were out in the cold, unprotected and non not in shelter, you would die within a few minutes because your body would freeze. On the other side of the planet where there was heat, at some points it would raise to the temperature of like... Uh, Oh, it was well over a thousand degrees, I believe, but because they were in their power suits, they were okay. So the Empress Children and the World Eaters kept fighting back and forth, back and forth. But the Empress Children were able to push the World Eaters back time and time again with the new use of their sonic weapons, which had just become a new thing to their legion uh, prior to the Horse Heresy and the Strike on Terra. So at one point, night started to come. And both sides were weary and tired, and they decided to take shelter, Emperor's children and world leaders alike. This enraged Karn, not only for his enemies to be weak and cowardly to hide from this little winter and cold that this planet would uh, bring upon them, but also seeing his own men do that as well. World leaders, savage warriors hiding in little hovels trying to stay warm. Enraged, he grabbed his axe and picked up the closest thing that was at hand, which was a flamethrower. And actually, that flamethrower for a short time was a legendary weapon or artifact in the game. And with that flamethrower called the Brand of Skelethrax, he started burning everything. He walked through the town, sorry, the cities, burning buildings, burning warriors, world eater, and emperor's children alike, cutting them down as he would go. Uh, some of the captains of the world leaders did try to stop him, but he swiftly cut them down maniacally laughing as he went. And when they tried to like say like, why are you doing this brother? He said, I have no brothers and killed another captain. And that's where he got the name Betrayer because of what he did. He basically fractured their legion. And that's why the world leaders are to a point now no longer a fully functioning legion. They separate into hundreds upon hundreds of small war bands that have been sieging the galaxy all over in their own ways. It's only been recently that now the world leaders seem to be slowly being pulled back together with the presence of Angron. But yeah, Karn did that. He he was the one that destroyed his own legion. In one of my favorite audiobooks, The Chosen of Corn, there's a little moment on the sands where these two warlords are going back and forth and they're trying to decide who gets the major spoils of this war? Who will get the major like, end result of all these warriors that have been fighting? One guy has his own champion, the other guy has asked Karn to fight. And the champion who had challenged him, which was, his name was Taragar, he looks at the other, the other champion named Argus Braun and says, why is the betrayer here? This is treachery. And he says, treachery, brother? What do you mean? 
Targa gets really upset and goes, it was meant to be you, Argus Braun, not him. The betrayer there killed the Legion. Yeah. This, this little back and forth talking a little bit about Korn in the, Karn in this little sequence. And then he just pipes up and says, you would have died that day too, Devourer. He's speaking to Targa. If you had not fled like a coward. Draw a weapon and allow me to address that injustice. Ooh. That's that's some metal stuff right there. That's just hard. You're selling me on Karn. I I, I always felt like, having read through part a lot of the heresy, hmm. I felt like Karn just was kind of like daddy issues. Because yeah. he's kind of he spends a lot of time just like him and our men have that in common. They spend a lot of time just like trying to understand their Primarch and like they kind of exist within their shadow. Yeah. Well, I, I think, think I need to learn more about 40k Karn. It wasn't until he accepted his role as the champion of Korn, which it was after Angron had turned to a demon Primarch. There's a short, there's another short uh, audio drama where he's talking about the path that his legion is starting to walk and he doesn't know where it's going to go. And at some point during a battle, um, Angron's roar of fury takes over the whole ship. And in the game, it's an ability too, where when Angron used to roar, everybody around him in the vicinity would become full of rage and start fighting. What happened to Karn, his vision turned red and he butchered one of his best friends in the arena on the, on the flagship, the Conqueror. And after it was all said and done, he wakes up out of this like daze, looks around, wipes the like not even like blood or splatter just like the thick goopiness of the flesh and blood off of his arms from his buddy because he like massacred him it was just who was his buddy his name if i remember was borok and he used to be one of the devourers karn had made the comment that borok was a true warrior because when he stood before him he noticed his slab muscle torso was crisscrossed with old wounds scars upon scars upon scars and to karn that told him that this warrior had faced every enemy and never shown his back. A true warrior. And Karn wanted to fight him as such. But because of this rage taking him over, he butchered him. Like, there, no, there's no body parts left. There's no bones. This is just like hunks of flesh on the ground of what was left of this guy. And after that, he... This was an internal monologue, but Karn goes, Now I understand. I understand the path that my legion is walking, and it is a path far more damning. We walk the eightfold path to which there is no turning back. He accepted his role and started to walk the path to the Skull Throne, and when he became Korn's champion, he just fully embraced it. He doesn't have any friends, he has no allies, he is a single warrior in and, of, in and of himself. And Korn loves him because he has done pretty much, every, he's checked off every box that Korn could ask for. Murder people? Check. Taken skulls? Check. Betrayed your brothers and killed them too? Check. Betrayed every single person around you? Check. Could he betray Korn? I don't think so. I don't think that would ever happen. He's not that He's not that strong. Korn is, is be, <laughs> like beyond his strength. Although you can you can see that Korn does favor him because he brings him back to life. 
and there is a small pile of skulls directly next to the throne of skulls in Corn's Hall that belongs to Karn. I love that. It sounds like 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 a little dog bed or like a little thing in the corner. Yeah. Like, oh, that's my little Karn. It's even bigger than Skull Takers because Skull Taker does the same thing. And it's in his name. <laughs> yes. A demon of Corn created by Corn, whose literal name is Taking Skulls, who takes skulls and brings them back to the Lord. Skulls does not have as big a pile as a champion of the mortals who is doing the exact same thing. You know, I think there's a bit of a theme there, though, that like even the like the demon primarchs of the respective gods are not as beloved as the champions. No, I definitely agree with you there. I think the mm. only one you could say would be would be Fulgrim. Fulgrim and Slanesh, I think, are on pretty good terms. But, yeah. like, even then, I think Slanesh likes Lucius more. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he keeps bringing them back to life. Like, they, each one of these guys has been given some kind of buff that just makes them unbelievable. Like, I wish this was an ability in the game. I really wish it was. But in the audio drama um, Trials of Asriel, Karn is charging a what are they called? A Justicar of the Grey Knights, which is a captain of a squad. He like leads an entire unit and he's blasting him with smites and lightning coming out of his hands. And he's got blood trickling out of his nose. And there's like, Horfrost. as is charging him. Yeah. There's hoarfrost growing on the side of his face and everything. As he's trying to amplify this magic and this lightning bolt, it hits Karn, but just coruscates off of his body like 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 um like water on a rock. That's terrifying. <laughs> he slams into this guy, punches them in the face, grabs him by the throat, lifts him up and says, "Corn protects me, Grey Knight. A pity for you. You cannot say the same of your corpse emperor." And cuts the guy in half and just keeps going. <laughs> That's a boring some sorcery right there. Yeah, it's just like he should have the ability in the game where he just rolls a die, and if you cast a psychic power on him, <sighs> denied. Just mm. it just doesn't happen. I wish it was, I like it. It was so cool to read. I think I read it like six times. It's like oh, it even described like the blue of the lightning hitting his red armor and turning into a purple hue as it danced across his armor. Hmm. Oh, beautiful. So does he deflect magic all the time? Um, not all the time. It seemed like this was one of the only occurrences in uh, audio or novels that I had seen it happen. Mm. But it wouldn't surprise me. Like, he is Korn's ultimate champion, and Korn hates magic. Mm -hmm. Like, he despises mm. it. And um, something else. I'll, I'll also bring up about Karn the Betrayer that uh, a lot of people, maybe a lot of people don't realize, they probably know now, is that he's not a, a psychopath. He's not like, well, he is, but he isn't. See, most champions or followers of Korn are raving madmen. Karn is something different. He is not as crazy as we all think. He's definitely nuts, <laughs> but he has control over it. The two, two books that I read that made me realize this and why I fell in love with his character, The Chosen of Korn, there are multiple monologues in this audio drama of Karn talking to himself. And in his mind, he's describing horrific, bloodthirsty scenes of him ripping somebody apart and screaming and enjoying it. And when it comes back, he's still in calm, talking to them like a normal person with a very low, monotone voice and control, not twitching, not mad, not crazy. But then sometimes those 
actual monologues become what's happening on the outside world, but he's calculated. Um, at the end of this book, he, he finishes his mission, kills the guys he's looking for, and an old man asks him, why did you do this? Why did you kill the last two members of the world leaders' captains? Like, I don't understand. And Karn said it pretty plainly. He drops his axe, drops his helmet, sits down on someone's body and just says, I have done what I set out to do. Eight skulls claimed, sorry, pledged to the blood father in fire and oath. They were unworthy of his patronage and I saw fit to see that through. And the old man realized that Karn had done one thing. He had cemented that any person or any warrior that claimed their uh, status to the blood god as like a champion would be proven on the battlefield and not by the former rankings of the status in their legions, which a lot of these captains used to do. You'd have captain of the 17th company, Agal Tal, or uh, captain of the 5th company, uh, Taruga, they would still use their legion titles to command people where Karn was like, no, if you're going to command people and you're going to be a champion of corn, you prove yourself on the battlefield and there's no other way to do that. And if you don't do that, you deserve to die. I will claim your skull in his name and show that to him. So he just cut that off at the very end right there. Does Karn have a favorite skull that he's collected? Uh, those eight. He actually carried them with him in a in a, oh. in a rope sack for a long time, and like the other that's quote, a lot of skulls to be carrying around. The other quote was by Abaddon himself, and this was to his Black Council. He said, "To anyone in this room that believes Karn a raving madman, you're a fool. Behind that mask lies the keen intellect and cunning of a ruthless killer and hunter. Mm. If you think you can control him, you're foolish." Because the minute that you turn his turn your back, your skull will be added to his pile. <laughs> this is from Abaddon. Even Abaddon won't so, turn the betrayer. So if you if you were to meet Karn in a hallway, you just don't lose your eye contact with him. You don't lose your You'd eye contact. You'd be in another hallway. Don't, don't show fear. Do not I'm a lamp. I'm a lamp. Fear. I'm a lamp. <laughs> yeah, you don't show fear in any way. You just you control yourself. Like Mavin Bitterspear, the only reason he lived in that in confrontation right there was because he kept calm. He, it's, he said it to himself. A long time ago as a child, he learned, if you show a beast any fear, you will be devoured. And it was very clear from the leftovers of the men sent down to speak to Karn before, did not learn that lesson in their lifetime because he had to wade through the corpses to go talk to Karn the Betrayer. I feel like there needs to be like a, a horror video game where Karn is the main bad guy and you gotta... That's just, that's literally just a game of, uh, uh, um, what's it, uh... What's that game where you pretend to be something else you're not? Um, it's like Among Us, only he's like, I'm here and I'm chasing you through the ship. Oh. Maybe like one of those scary games where something's constantly chasing you, that yeah, would yeah, be the yeah. horror game. When you like Karn. turn your back and like, there's he's a there. Yeah. Or he's just like, oh, we're fine. He just bursts through the wall. Oh, God. Keep running. Uh, yeah, I feel like Karn is a better um, antagonist than a protagonist. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, running away from Karn is more engaging than trying to be Karn. <laughs> did, you hear, did you ever hear about he single-handedly took down a warlord titan? No. So by himself? Uh, during like the, was it damaged or was uh, it? He, yeah, he, he took it down by himself. So during oh, the Black yeah. Crusade, one of the Black Crusades, 
he's helping Angron. Sorry, he's helping Abaddon, and he gets a whole building knocked on top of him by a a Titan. I, I I'm trying to remember which type it was. I think it was a war dog, one of those like weird bipedal ones with the guns on their sides. And the only reason he got out and survived was Abaddon teleported onto it. And it's like, we need to go. We need to come with me. Grabs him and teleports out. Stop messing around. <laughs> yeah. Stop this. Everything's dead already. <laughs> well, I don't want to spend all night on. I know. <laughs> yes. I, I could go on. I could go on forever about Crown the Betrayer, but let's get on to our next champion. And I think the man I with uh, a legion's worth of uh, daddy issues and brother oh, issues yeah. and just issues issues. I'll let you Azek take the reins on this. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Azek. <laughs> Armin's interesting because he very much like feels the weight of like his the flesh change, like even from yeah. the very beginning. Like he's just like filled with guilt. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, which. <clears throat> The source of that is actually um, his brother, like yeah, his actual brother, was lost to the flesh change. So, like, Aruman's, like, whole thing with trying to address, like, his legion's, you know, flaw yeah. is very much, like, primal to him. He still had that, um, he had a silver leaf embossed on one of his shoulder pads to remember his brother's passing because of that, so he would never forget. Is it quite rare to have brothers in Legions together? Not really. I think they were even twin brothers. Yeah. Oh. In some of the Legions, it's actually, it's not as rare as you think, because every Legion has different ways of bringing in aspirants to become space Mm -hmm. rings. So some of them, their tests are more rigorous than others, like... Yeah, like there's there's easier ways of doing it for some, and there's harder ways. Like some legions, I assume, want the best of the best, so they train them till there's like, out of a hundred people, one guy lives. Others are probably like, we'll take what we can get. And I'm guessing Thousand Sons was more about your intellect. Yes, Thousand Sons are definitely more about your intellect and your ability to control the warp and use your psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Now, Armin though was one of the big proponents of. Um still being a warrior mm, he was like, yes. like he specifically actually honed himself as a warrior like some of the thousand sons that kind of like descended into scholarship Aram yeah, never does there, yeah they, they, there was guys in the book um all is dust where they're using their powers to take about their take apart their weaponry and clean it and reassemble things mm. and turn pages and he's still using his hands and they said why are you doing that and he made the comment like just because we're masters of the warp does not mean we should be, you know, letting go of our old traditions. And he had a thought in his head where he said, if I didn't have my powers, I would be just a space marine. And then he chuckles, just a space marine. The audacity of that comment was just unbelievable to him. <laughs> because a space marine was already as powerful a thing as it could be. And he's like, huh, that's a little... Yeah, that's a little... Uh, yeah, I'm not. So, I don't. I don't want to say cocky, but something else. The other word I'm looking for it was like a little. He was arrogant. Did he humble him. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, it's. Very, he found himself to be a little bit arrogant in that moment. Like, huh, to think that uh, I would just be a space marine. Well, wow. I think there is a degree of arrogance with Armin that, honestly, even you know, Karn and Lucius don't have. 
Um, I think there's a whole le- there's an arrogance with this whole legion, but definitely he has the most out of all of them. Oh yeah, like he thinks he can solve every problem. Mm. Like he always thinks that he can figure his way out of it. Yeah, and no he almost what, like never does. Does he fail? He fails a lot. Like yeah. a lot. Like in the hierarchy of people who fail every time, it, you know, Abaddon used to be the top of the list, and then Aramin was like second. Yeah. So or, Magnus did nothing wrong, but Aramon always does the wrong thing. Yeah. Aramon always he, tries to do the wrong thing and just like messes it up in some way. He tries to do and the it, wrong thing? Well, even No, he tries to do the right thing. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but even when he does the right thing, if he does succeed, it's at extreme costs to himself yeah. and people around him. He's like it's like I will reach my end goal regardless of the outcome and people around me. That's his that's to me, that's his thought process. Like he's the one who who uh, turns his legion into dust. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, Magnus's fault. He's the one that did that. And Magnus even told him, "Don't, do not do this. You're you're going I think down a everyone road." Everyone tells him. <laughs> can can they, Zinch reverse it? Technically, yes, he could. Zinch definitely could reverse it. I mean, Zinch did reverse it for a while until. Mm it was opportunistic for him to go, all right, well, kind of turn on that little deal. And then suddenly the flesh change went rampant through the Legion again. And all the flesh change was, was just them turning into chaos spawn. Well, it's actually, um, Zinch doesn't turn on the deal. Magnus does. (laughs) Right, right. So it's actually, as Magnus is trying to break into the golden throne to warn, um, the emperor he hits a block mm. he can't get through yes and zinch and zinch not appearing as zinch but it's clearly zinch appears to magnus and is like i will help you with this but our other deal is done and magnus goes do what you must like i yeah because he said i, I can speak grant with you my the power. power i can grant you yeah. the power to do this but and that and that's why he said the deal was done because once Magnus broke through that wall, he didn't really need him anymore. But in doing so, the deal was that Zinch was actually the the being that Magnus had thought was holding his legion together. So mm. then the flesh change started taking over his legion again. And if also read the book All Is Dust, Zinch appears to Magnus in three different occasions as three different things. He even lets Magnus think that he is more powerful and kills Zinch. He appears as this little snake that turns into a big snake and then Magnus turns into a bigger Magnus and grabs it and breaks its neck and he goes, ha, I killed you. And Zinch is like, you think you did? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a theme with Magnus is uh, he always thinks he's more powerful than Zinch and Zinch is just like, I control everything about you. And it was perfect. That's, that's probably why Zinch won so quickly because he's like, you are arrogant enough to think that you are better than me and more powerful than me, that you have full control over the warp. All right, I'm going to play into this hard. Magnus is the only one of the demon primarchs who falls to chaos while still being loyal. Yeah. Like, oh, he just, like, what? compromises his way into being a demon primarch. Yes. And something else about Araman. Notice how, like, every other champion of the chaos gods is, like, you know, somewhat mutated like Karn looks like he lives at the gym and is really psychotic with one arm yeah Lucius anyway Typhus is completely (laughs) rotten (laughs) yeah just getting into Lucius a lot but 
From the outside view, Araman does look like he has not mutated whatsoever. Oh, he's not dust. He's not dust. But he doesn't have a face. Yeah. There was another sorcerer that described and said, I have seen the void of endless darkness that lies behind that mask where his face used to be. Ugh. Yeah. I just That's when I creepy. when it was described, I imagined him taking the mask off and he just has this like almost like a black hole. Like a is it shaped like a, like a head or I'm I'm not sure. Have you ever seen like what Vanta Black Paint does? Yes. Hmm. It like absorbs all light, so it actually looks like something isn't there. I can imagine it's just like his face is that. Yeah. Like you look at it and there's nothing. And I think that is his curse from Zinch. Because it's it's a it's like it's like um it's like a play. A play on words where you want to seek knowledge, I'm gonna give you an endless, bottomless hole that you are trying to fill full of knowledge and it is never gonna be full, which is why he's trying to look for the black library. He wants to find a way to solve everything. Well, in the Black Library, there's clearly the answer to the rubric that he messed up. Like, everything. The Black Library yeah. will solve everything. And Zinch Just wants one to more do... tragedy. Yep. Just one more mistake. Would Zinch no. betray Armon? Uh, if Armon yes. gets there. Oh, yeah. If, if, if it meant... Because they probably will have knowledge of, like, how to deal with the Chaos Gods. That's and if Aramon finds that out... Well, that's the thing about the Chaos Gods. You can be their greatest champion, but if they can get something better or it's the means to an end, they'll abandon you. They did it to yeah. Horus. They, they mm -hmm. jacked Horus up full of yeah. so much energy and was like, cool, we have completed our goals. We don't need you anymore. Click, your powers are gone. We're done. I assume that as soon as Araman would gain access to the Black Library and gained a foothold there, Zinch would be like, all right, cool. Let's let's change this up now. I mean, nah. Zinch wants access to the Black Library. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's so much knowledge in that place that he definitely wants really, really badly. But how does Armand think that... Well, I guess he's not thinking two steps ahead, but I can just imagine him going to the Black Library and not being able to exit the Black Library. That is a possibility. So what's the point on getting the knowledge if you can't... I think the problem with Armin is he thinks 15 steps ahead, but like 13 of those steps don't make as much sense as he thinks they do. <laughs> but everyone yeah. around him is thinking 75 steps ahead, so it's still not enough. Also, I don't think he'd be that upset about being trapped in the Black Library because that's a lot of books to read and he'd be like captivated for quite a while. He may even go insane because of it. So is he doing it selfishly? Completely selfish. Oh, okay. like he wants he wants all the knowledge to solve the rubric, fix everything, gain ultimate power. I think he even does like does, he doesn't believe that he's really working for Zinch. He does think he's only working for his own goals. I think he's yeah, I think Araman yeah. like of them all, I think is like the most in denial. Which yeah. Magnus also kind of deals with the same issue of like... Oh, exactly, yeah. They go hand in hand. The both of them think they're just arrogant enough to not, like, give in to Zinch. Although, now that Magnus is a demon prince and he's fully given in, Araman's like, alright, well, I'm gonna do this on my own as a, as a mortal. I'm gonna figure this out. And Zinch is like, you think so? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that Araman is definitely the most in denial about his situation. Yeah. And... I think the struggle with Armin is he doesn't think he's arrogant. 
Because it like the Thousand Sons are extraordinarily arrogant as a Legion. Oh. And Aramin was actually one of the like more grounded ones. That's actually part of the reason why Magnus liked to talk to him. Because hmm. Aramin wasn't the equerry, but Aramin was the one who had Magnus's ear kind of before the fall. Yes, he did. Because and Aramin was like Aramin tended to be a little bit more grounded. He wasn't as lustful of knowledge. He wasn't as um you know, even going back to the, you know, he still considered himself a warrior. Like, Armin pushed himself to be more than just a sorcerer. Yes. And because of that, there was more substance to him. And I think Magnus liked that about him. So I don't think Armin ever lost that self-vision, though. Armin sees himself as this, like, capable, you know, uh, self-assured you know, just Space Marine doing his thing, and I don't think he realizes the, like, web of fate that Zinch has, like, woven around him. Yeah, he doesn't see it. Or even if he does see it, he still thinks, like you said, I can get out of this. Yep. I can figure it away out of it. I'm the smart one. Like, so I think I... he even thinks if he solves the rubric, he can save his legion from Zinch. Yeah. Random funny tangent about him. Um, Azek Araman is one of the few space marines out there that was actually able to feel like he was drunk without drinking anything like the space wolves with mead during the council really? of Nikea. Yes. During the council of Nikea, um, Magnus got really upset about what was happening in the outcome to the point where he actually had psychic energy radiating off his body. The plinth he was standing on was starting to melt around his hands. He was really upset and it hit Araman and he actually was like, oh, 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 damn. And just goes down. Like, he passes out. He wakes up a couple hours later in his Lord's chamber. And he goes, how are you feeling? I I don't know. I, I feel like I'm drunk. I've never been drunk before. <laughs> and he's, he's describing it as like lights are hurting. He feels dizzy. He's woozy. Oh, he wants uh, to throw up. He needs a good greasy spoon. Yeah. And, and Magnus goes, I apologize. Um, that was my fault. Apparently I released a little too much energy and it rubbed off on you. He's just like, uh. <laughs> Drunk off that Magnus energy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, getting drunk off that chaos juice. <laughs> well, I, I, that even reminds me, um, uh, in the Crimson King, Armin takes in one of the shards of Magnus. Mm. And he actually sees the universe as Magnus sees it. Mm. And it, like, starts to shatter his psyche. Oh, they, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. And it's it's a, it's a, it sounds like it's a similar experience for him. Like, it's this, like lights are too bright he sees too much of everything he gets this like splitting yeah. headache and he like almost starts to like pass out and die because he's just like perceiving too much reality at one time and that's the shard my oh my goodness i've yeah. only seen i've only heard of a couple of champions that have like read books written by magnus actually um, Harkin World Claimer to get the favor of Zinch, he read through the tomes of Magnus and lost a bit of his sanity while doing it. I can only imagine what putting a shard in your chest is like that poor, poor bastard. Oh, wow. Yeah, Armin had the Book of Magnus in one hand and a shard of Zinch inside of him, and it's just <sighs> like, all right, let's do this. Let's I think Magnus ends up like turning it off. He's like, oh no, my son, I'm hurting you. I'll just like turn the off switch off. And Armin's like, oh, thank you. That's great. Thank you. 
three seconds beforehand. Right. Oh god! Oh god! Oh god! I'm sorry! I'm sorry! I'm sorry! Click. Are you okay, son? Yes, daddy. <laughs> so yeah, Armin is like both like brother and daddy issues to the max. Because yeah. he's, like, always trying to put Magnus back together and always trying to put his legion. He's kind of like the mother hen of the, like, yeah. Chaos Champions, where he's just <laughs> like, all he's if just I just do all the things, everyone will and be everyone, okay. And all Oh, the and other... he's very passive-aggressive. Like, oh, if only yes. I get help around here. And all, well, no, he is. He absolutely is. And, all, and he's very passive-aggressive about it. And all the other sorcerers are like, you go to hell for what you did. Like, uh, what was it? When the book first came out for the Thousand Sons, like the first ever codex they made, there was that little short that GW made, and it was Araman returning to Prospero because for the longest time when he did the rubric, he was actually in exile. If you look at the old codexes, his name is Araman, exile of the Thousand Sons. You actually had to pay a premium to add him to an army that had rubric means because they hated him so much. <laughs> yeah. So he goes. He goes to get extra fifty points because we don't want him around. Yeah. So he goes to Prospero, and he sa- the whole thing. He says, "Brothers, uh, the space around Fenris seized with warp fire. This is our time. It is our opportunity to strike now." And they just go, "Traitor! <laughs> Did you think that we would forget Araman?" Did you believe we would forgive your sins of what, what you did to us? And then daddy shows up and goes, enough. You're all my sons and you're all born of my blood. Some of you have remained faithful. Others, side glance at Araman, <laughs> wayward and treacherous throughout the generations, walking their own path. But the crimes <laughs> of your past mean nothing and you've all come back here together. This is a chance for us to reforge the Legion as one become stronger than we ever have and strike back against the wolves for what they did to us so many years ago. So that's why in the new codex, he is now Araman, back on. Sorcerer, of the Lib- Sorcerer of the Thousand Sons. And he's their like chief dude because he was finally able to come back. Magnus rejoins and they're <laughs> one group again. But the other sorcerers still hate him. Can we just they, exile him again? <laughs> they want to, they probably do. But daddy is protecting him now. Okay, okay. I just wanted to interrupt for a second. That is the exact same plot line as Lionel Johnson coming back with the Fallen. Right? It's the same, same thing. plot line. The exact same thing. <laughs> Someone oh called him traitor? Well, yeah. P- they, people called him traitor. The Legion split in half. There was uh, the, the the Fallen and the Dark Angels. When he comes back, he brings the dark, the Fallen back into the fold. You're like, huh. Okay. <laughs> I guess we're all friends again. Also, if anybody noticed, there's new Dark Angel models out that are wearing black armor and look just like knights, and they're pretty much... um, They're like Blade Guard veterans, but for the Dark Angels, so those are the Fallen, his Mm. closest companions. The people that they were hunting for for, uh, so long. I can imagine how Are the Fallen Chaos? Well, what the uh, well? That's the thing. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Um, some of the fallen were just trying to survive, and others were actually uh, seeking out chaos. And Lion gave them the option: if they were mutated or they didn't want to follow him, he killed them. And if they did, he let them back in. 
I'm just imagining the mental mind effery that the Dark Angels went through when our Primarch has returned. He's surrounded by the Fallen. You want to let them back into the Legion? He's been 10,000 years hunting these guys down. And then your like father comes back and is just like, sup guys, got the crew back together. <laughs> it just every, it just every single Marine just drops their gun. Like what's happening? Is, like, I, I want like every is, captain is thinking back to like every fight and planet they lost because they heard a rumor of a single fallen and picked up the whole chapter to hunt them down. It's just like, Wait a second. Yep. Every innocent person they've killed, every <laughs> everything, everything that they've done, they were just like, oh, we're the bad guys. <laughs> Are we the bad guys? So yes, everybody out there that was a Dark Angel player for the past five to ten years, yes, you were the bad guys. <laughs> it's your fault. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's a nice uh, equivalency to to Armin's story because Armin mm -hmm. doesn't think he's the bad guy but he often is yeah moving on the champion of Nurgle our filthy friend our hive of diseases and bugs our is he is he goo on the inside like a plague marine from what I a plague marines goo well yeah they're just the... kind of like sludgy gooey Gummy there's bear bodies. There's 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 varieties. There's there's lots. Yeah, okay, I like yeah. to think of them okay, as just so gummy bears wearing armor. What I isn't do, typhus just flies? Well, what I do know is that typhus's when he changed, typhus's body was fused to his armor. So him and his armor are one. They are one thing. And um, a large portion of his body was hollowed out from the inside so that the destroyer hive all those flies can live inside of his body so i don't know how like out of all of them i think he is probably the closest thing to being a demon from all mm. four champions with how much he's been corrupted because yeah like if if like any of these guys typhus was the one that just d jumped into the deep end of chaos immediately right off the bat he's like i am i am all about nurgle i'm a nurgle fanboy nurgle <laughs> hell yeah papa gap tattooed on his chest everything <laughs> he, he he had aspirations of being a champion of nurgle long before the heresy long before the great crusade if this his his first thoughts of this was during uh, the during Mortarian living on Barbarus when they had their little bit of a war with the overlords of the planet. Because he thought, like, Typhus was the one that made the suggestion to Mortarian, hey, you see these weird, messed up, mutated monsters that the overlords keep using? We can make those too. Why don't we just, you know, get some of the human population and turn them into our own and we'll have them attack? Mortarian's like, no, we're not going to do that. Typhus, well, why not? Because we're supposed to protect these people. Well, you and I aren't exactly human, so what have they done for us? They, we should just use them. That's what they're there for. They're a tool. So right off the bat, Typhus was already showing signs of, like, evil. Hmm. When, uh, when they captured one of the warlords and brought them to Mortarian, uh, at first Mortarian was really upset because he had told him, I want you to kill him. Why is he standing here in front of me still alive? You told me he was dead. 
And he said, no, we can learn from them. We can learn how to control these powers. Look at what they have at their disposal. The overlord begged and pleaded for Typhus to like, you know, show, like, I, I can, I can tell you, I can teach you. I can show you all sorts of things. I can teach you the gifts and the secrets of Nergaleth, because around that time, that's what they referred to Nurgle was Nergaleth, which is one of his names. Typhus didn't listen. He cut the guy's throat from his throat down to his stomach and watched the contents of his body spill on the floor. And he stood there and watched it because it started to writhe and rot and create fungus. And he was very intrigued by it, especially by the virility and the strength that these guys had, like being able to take a lot of damage and just shrug it off. He was like always interested. And Typhus isn't fully human. His backstory on Barbarus was, and he told this to Mortarian, I'm not one of them. My mother, the sweet woman that she was, unfortunately had a really pretty face. And one of the overlords took a liking to her. And I was born out of that. The people in my hometown were so afraid. They strangled my mother in front of me and they tried to drown me in the river. Only I unleashed something upon them and then they left me alone because they were afraid of me typhus before that had already had access to some form of psychic powers because he was I, there's no actual real lore as to what the overlords are they were either an alien race or once human whatever they were they were nurgle worshippers so typhus was a half human half something else with the warp embedded in his body that which made him psychically entombed and he used that power and he didn't understand why Mortarian didn't want to use tools and weapons at his disposal where he could destroy his enemies. Mortarian's whole idea was, I'm going to do this on my own, my way, without anybody else's help, and I'm not going to use the weapons of my enemies. And Typhus never understood that. So later during the heresy, well, sorry, before the heresy, Typhus was very quick to, you know, get cozy with the word bearers get cozy with Erebus, start the lodges. He's oh, actually... who gets close to Erebus? Yeah. <laughs> Typhus was one of the first, like, pseudo-champions of Chaos to really, really dig into the lodges and start that whole mess within the Legion. And then, during the whole uh, Great Crusade and the Horus Heresy, he slowly planned things out on how he was going to make this happen. He wanted to be a champion of Nurgle. He wanted to gain those powers that the Overlords had a long time ago. He actually craved it. So he set Mortarion and the Legion up. Completely set them up. He had found a way to bring them into Nurgle's realm through the warp. But how is I going to do this? Well, I'm going to kill all the Astropaths on the ship. So we can't navigate through the warp. With no psychers to navigate, what are we going to do? Well, Dad... I'm a Psyker. Now, I know you hate Psykers. You don't want us in our Legion. But as it is right now, I'm the only one that can steer <laughs> us through the sh through the warp to a safe place. Wow, Typhus. <laughs> That's why the novel's called The Buried Dagger, because he buried a knife in Mortarian's back. Just completely betrayed him and the Legion. So when this all finally came to fruition... I believe Typhus was still performing a ritual. Mortarian sliced him through his body with his scythe, just like he did to Garrow. 
and he thought Typhus was dead. But around this time, Typhus had already pretty well joined Nurgle as a champion. He was described during the whole book as features becoming very gaunt, skin becoming pale and transparent. You could see his veins turning blue and black. Um, there was a constant black goo dripping from his nose that he would wipe off really quickly whenever Mortarion was around so that he wouldn't notice. And then eventually, when this whole confrontation happened, Typhus tore himself off of Mortarion's scythe and he actually went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Primarch for a short time. Because even though the Primarch had all this power, Typhus was embodied with Nurgle's gifts that made him super resilient. So he was shrugging off attacks that like Mortarion should have been able to just strike him down. His his intestines are hanging out of his stomach on the deck, trailing behind him. Mortarion's just like, what have you become? What is this? I have shown us the way, Father. And I'll show you what this path is going where this path's going to lead us. Now this is where it gets interesting because this whole time his name was never Typhus. His name was Callus Typhon. Prior to this, there was a uh, well, a Death Guard legionary that was brought back as a possessed or a demon prince or a demon of some sort. And he had given Mortarion some information and help along the way. At this point, Mortarion had finally given in and brought this monster into the fight with him to fight Typhus. And at the last moments of the fight, when this creature called the Destroyer grabbed onto Callus, he looked back at Mortarion and said, I serve more masters than you, Lord of Play. Sorry, Lord of the Death God. Looks down to Callus. Do you give in? To Nurgle. Tyvus said yes, and he smiled, and this cloud of flies just comes out of the guy's mouth and into Typhus. And they basically, sorry, Typhon, they fuse together. This demonic entity and Typhus fuse, Typhon fuse together to create the new being known as Typhus. And that's where he came from. After which, he led the armies of the Death Guard with Mortarion, but as we can all see, Mortarion looks very different from his brother Primarchs. If you look at the other three, Angron, Magnus, and uh, Lucius, sorry, Lucius, uh, Fulgrim, they've all given into the Chaos God that they worship fully because of how the level of their transformation. Angron, he's basically a bloodthirster. Magnus, giant turkey man. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, Fulgrim. 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 Snake with four arms and looks gorgeous half the time and ugly the other half the time. Well, he's gorgeous all the time. Yeah, it shifts. It shifts. There's a book. You read it. You'll okay. see. He's like, ooh, ooh, he's got, he's got, ooh. He's, he, ooh. Anyway. Um, what was I? Mortarian, if you look at him, he hasn't changed much. Yes, he's got big wings. Yes, he's got bigger. bigger. Yes, his body's covered in pox and gnarly stuff <laughs> but that's pretty much it even his yeah, face it's not like any tentacles no. or any wounds open wounds exactly the, he's like, got he's, no belly mouth exactly <laughs> his grill is attached to his face and it's now like it's it is a part of my face now pretty much that's what he's got going on but as for heavy duty mutation compared to the plague it. marines yeah because he's still <laughs> resisting nurgle 
he still doesn't fully want to give in to the Chaos God, and Typhus sees that. And there's a reason why they're not really on the same page. Typhus gave in to Nurgle fully. Mortarian did not. And Typhus actually hates his dad for that. Mm -hmm. He hates Mort uh, Mortarian for not giving in to Nurgle, and he's even said to him, you have not given in to the Plague Father and accepted his, his gifts as I have. If you would just give in and accept his love, then perhaps you and I could, uh, what was the, what were you, like, could find recompense or something where they could, like, you know, we could get along again. But until then, no, we will not. That's why Typhus goes across the galaxy with his own ship, known as the Terminus Est, which is Latin for the end. And, and he, his poxwalkers. Yep, and he rages his own wars away from Mortarian. They are, like, seeing them on the battlefield together is a very rare, rare sight mm. because they dislike each other so much. Mortarian will give him orders, and I will be like, go F yourself, Dad. Mm. So is Typhus living his <clears throat> best life? Is he, is he happy now that... What? Well, no, he wants... He, he's he wants not, more? He, well, he's not happy happy he's happy but he'd like think about it you're a follower of nurgle and your dad the one you love the most isn't a full follower of nurgle it'd be like it's like a really hardcore religious guy wanting to get someone that he knows and loves into the religion but they're just dipping their toes kind of in they're not fully giving in mm -hmm. he just wants mortarian to give in to nurgle's love and his affections and his gifts so that he and typhus can see each other on the same level and be like look you see this is why i'm doing this because they like they'll always typhus is always going to think him and mortarian are never going to see eye to eye because he's still doing the same thing he's always done you are not using all the tools at your disposal mm -hmm. to do the things you need to do you have psychic powers you have unbelievable fortitude you have gifts given to you from the plague father and you will not use them why i have a, a quick question okay so he is born the way he is he's yep. essentially nurgle's son to a point, yeah. How does he become a space marine? So Typhus was, sorry, Callus at the time was at the proper age to still become. But did they not marine. like, obviously he has like some chaos in him. Was there no like librarian or not to that no like, chaos. Like, that was part of the emperor's lie. Yeah. When they looked oh. upon, when they found Callus, they just, he just looks like, okay, he's a, slightly larger also, tougher was, looking dude who can use psychic powers this is good was it only the emperor that knew about chaos only the emperor knew about chaos although who was the first one to discover chaos well uh, well the, the Orpheron and actually I'm, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit on that one i i don't think we're correct on that i don't think it's not that they didn't know about chaos but they didn't know what it could do or what it was capable of. Or how because, to detect it. Yeah, because there's a conversation in, I believe, the first or second book, either Horus Rising or uh, False Gods, where Gavio Loken and Horus Lupacal are having a conversation. And Horus Lupacal actually does describe the warp and chaos. And there are entities that live within that realm. So they do know 
something there they know that there are it's things. like knowing heaven and I hell. think they think it's like yeah they think it's like they're like animals like it's yeah, like oh there's like deer them, yeah. and bears in there like yeah they don't different think realms, that they're like a guided creatures. intelligence they don't know like the chaos gods are like actual consciousness exactly mm-hmm. because they have had inst- they have had instances where they have fought some form of demon before actually mortarium is one of the people that has fought them during the the trial of Magnus or the Council of Nikea, when he steps up to the plate and talks about why he thinks psychic powers are bad, he describes a war where they fought against a human race that somehow had the power to summon these crazy-ass creatures that rode atop of giant monsters and charged at them into battle. And he was like, these are the powers that are at our enemy's disposal and we're using them. Like, this is not right. This is, it's evil. We shouldn't be doing this. So they knew something about the warp. They just didn't know... Like to the, they knew probably about ten percent about what it could do, whereas the emperor knew a hundred and ten percent what the warp was capable of. Yeah, like they, they wouldn't have thought that there was chaos gods and that there was like direction and oh, wow. planning yeah. and thought. Like it'd be like if you were going for a walk in the woods and somebody's like, "Oh yeah, like don't go off the path because you know we saw a grizzly bear out there last week," and you'd be like, "Oh okay," and then I'll make sure I stay on the path. Like that was their level of like understanding yeah. of the dangers of the warp that's exactly that's a were they fighting uh entities from the warp or like fighting chaos in general there were some instances where they not chaos in general but they were definitely fighting entities like um so what, what were the, their main enemies mainly were different types of humans and alien rights and xenos yeah a lot of yeah. a lot of them a lot of them probably thought that these were just a xenos thing some kind of alien creature. Meanwhile, the primarchs are the, um, made out of chaos. Yeah, one of the early heresy novels describes them more as like a Xenos, like yeah, like that's what they perceive it. I think it. I think it might even be the um, the Sons of Horus too that like encounter a demon during like a warp translation. They do, it's and they're just like, oh, what is this like ephemeral Xenos like nonsense? Well, it was uh, it was during the uh, what was that? battle they had it was during the first battle of the first book gavio Loken has this interaction with a squad uh, squad jubal and the captain of the squad is named xavier jubal who goes missing at one point they find jubal and he's kind of gone a little bit crazy he keeps saying like samus is here samus is the one right beside you he will gnaw your bones and chew on your bite look out samus is here and he starts attacking people and they they kill jubal but then he comes back and the way it's described, he's taken over by a demon of Nurgle. It's his body bloats to a huge size. His nails grow long and curled. Um, pox grow on his body. His like, there's a long writhing tongue and a mouth of fangs. And he's like, look out. Samus is here. So, they fight him, they kill him, they burn his entire body. And when he has that conversation with Horace, that's when he brings up, he's like, he was infected by something, something within the warp. And he goes, that's when he starts talking to Gaviel about it and tells him like, the warp is something we don't know a lot about. There are things out there and men have succumbed to them sometimes. Like it can make a man go crazy. Have you not seen some of the people, like the humans on our ship, what happens to them when they're exposed to the warp? So yeah, you're right. They don't know a lot about it. It's a lot of speculation on what these things are, and they're just making average guesses on what they know, which isn't very much. 
And like they know, <clears throat> like they know what the elder are. They know what like psychic powers are. So they they are aware that there is like a connection between psychic powers and aliens. Yes. As well. So. Yeah. Yep. Emperor really dropped the ball on that one. Well, you know, a lot of things could have been avoided. The emperor. Just, like, <laughs> understood how it seems to be the root of most if, problems. If the emperor was just a better dad and drove him to soccer practice, it would have been fine. <laughs> and then picked them up at least. Yeah, at least picked them up. Could have taken better care of them Primark babies. All right, guys, we're going home. Oh, damn it! Where's Korax? Just in the random uh, field. <laughs> you know, I think Typhus is interesting because he actually he isn't like. He, he does have daddy issues because they all have daddy issues. But his is more like, like he, like you said, he was striving to be a champion of chaos. The other three kind of just end up there. Yeah, they all do. They all like none of them are trying. No, he's been trying since like day one. He was a fanboy. Oh, yeah. Well, he's always like Typhus is. Oh. Nurgle Keeners. Yeah. Yeah. I just see him with a poster of Nurgle on his wall. <laughs> Typhus has always like been seeking power. He's always seeking power and strength. It was, um, what was it? It was a combination of Typhus, Mortarian, and Abaddon giving Mortarian a dark item called the Hand of Darkness, which is what Mortarian used to create the Poxwalker virus, which then Typhus was able to carry in his body that the flies would infect people with. Gross. Nurgle is gross. Oh yeah. <laughs> I used to love that weapon. It the artifact actually was in the game, the Hand of Darkness. It was a chaos weapon. You had to give up all of your attacks to use it. You got one attack. But if you hit, you didn't need to wound because it was instant death. Whatever Ooh. toxin came out of that 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 gauntlet, that glove, was so potent that all you had to do was touch somebody. And their body would react the same way as a virus bomb from the Imperium would. You're just every bit of biomass on your body melts away into a gray, greenish sludge and fumes come off afterwards. So what you're saying is Nurgle has the ability to defeat the Tyranids and just like can't be bothered. Yes. Yes, he <laughs> do. He could. If Nurgle wanted to create the ultimate virus to infect the Tyranids and kill them off, he absolutely could. The only problem is he's like, well, if I do that, I get nothing for it because they're not individual beings; they're one mind. So I'm only gonna I'm gonna do all this work to kill one thing. Would they not adapt to it? It depends. They probably could, but I feel like Nurgle. Well, one Nurgle, Nurgle's diseases are very different. And two, I don't think they could t adapt to it that quickly because it's not like a normal disease. It's it's a warp-born disease. Mm -hmm. If they could, it's going to be hard. And Nurgle could just alter the disease, change it up. Like, I'm going to add this to it. Well, now your eyes bleed. Okay, well, now your, your joints start to get hard and seize up. All right, well, now your fluids turn to solids and your solids turn to fluids. How do you like that? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you like me now, baby? <laughs> When you actually Gross. read some of the, like, in every codex with spells and artifacts, they have that little blurb of lore across stuff. If you actually read the Nurgle ones, they're pretty awful what they do. 
Oh, yeah. Like, there's one where the skin peels off your body, but it turns, like, hard as rock, and it it does something else. Like, it starts to, like, slice your body open while it's peeling off. It's it's, it's weird. It's so weird. Everyone's going to go open up a book to find this. (laughs) I'm tempted to do it myself. Just read some of them. They're freaking great. This is why, uh, in a recent episode, uh, I had explained to Kaylee that Nurgle was not nice. And it's because Nurgle does terrible, awful, terrible things to people. Like, at least, like, Korn just, just wants you dead. Yeah. Well, as like, quickly as possible. If you look at, like, level of mutation for each of the gods and their followers, you got, like, least from least to greatest amount, you got Korn at the top. Almost no mutations. You got uh, Slanesh with, you know, a few more. This is more, like, of self-augmentation. Yeah, and then I, in my opinion, it's a hard tie for Zinch and Nurgle because they both make their followers so just. The eft doesn't even describe what they do. I, I don't think I have a word. Creativity. In the English dictionary. Yeah, it's, cre- it's definitely creative. It's definitely creative. <laughs> I don't think there's a word that describes what they do to their followers because. But like, I'm going to ascend to Zinch's <laughs> true power, and then you turn into like a half crocodile, half chicken, and you're like. <laughs> Well, <laughs> oh, there's not like there's those new uh, exalted sorcerers that they made for the uh, Thousand Suns line, and look, there's one. It floats in the air. It's got a bird face. It has robotic bird feet. It's got four arms and tentacles coming out of one side. And it just, I don't know. I just I find it unsettling every time I see that model. I just I feel very just icky and unsettled by the way it looks because it's like this thing is. It's avian, but it's octopusy, and he's floating, but he's on a disc at the same time while he's floating. I don't. I, there's extra arms. Is that, a, is that an eyeball on his nipples. knee? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, you just gotta look at the Magnus model and be like, Zinch is into some weird stuff. Yeah. At, at least when you <laughs> look at the when you look at the Death Guard, everyone's smiling. Even their stomachs are smiling. Just big grins all around. I, yeah, All right. that, yeah. Okay, we saved the best for last. The best. I don't want to let this go too long, but we got to talk about my boy. Mm-hmm. Your boy. My Prince, man. Number one under the sun. Favorite. The, the eternal, the never dying. The, 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 the guy the who proved that Necrons have feelings, actually. <laughs> Lucius the eternal. Oh, good old Lucius. And here we go. Let's dive into this bag of tricks. So, where to begin with Lucius? Where does he come from? Well, I think I think the thing to talk about most is actually Lucius's humanity. Mm. Because of the champions, he's probably like the most messed up in the end. But the his trigger is actually that he realizes the curse of what being an Astartes is. Yep. Like he starts off as like a kind of arrogant you know, cocky swordsman who's like really concerned with his martial prowess. But he's also like, he falls in love with someone and like realizes like through like art and culture, what the emperor has taken. Like, uh, I, I have little notes beside each of these and, and Lucius is, he has granddaddy issues. Him and Fulgrim are pretty like, okay. Yeah. They're tight. But like he has beef with the emperor about like <laughs> what was done to him. And, like, that's what kind of triggers the descent is his realization of the humanity that was stolen from him. Yeah. So he fell in love with a woman? Like, a a human? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. He fell in love with a remembrancer on, on the ship. Mm, um, something freighty. I can't remember her first name. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. No. This is that lady that was making a portrait with her own blood. Nurgle. Wasn't it? I think by the end of it, yeah. It got pretty <laughs> pretty depraved by the end of it. Because I think Lucius deep. finishes it with her blood. Yeah. And like during the um the the Meraviglia. That's what that's the word I was looking for, the Meraviglia. Yeah, she wrote that. Yeah. Oh. Oof. Yeah. She dead? Uh Lucius no. kills her. No, no, no. She was transformed into a demonette. That's right, yeah. But yeah. Lucius does kill her, and that's also part of his like descent yeah, to chaos. Yeah, that whole ritual sequence of the Meraviglia was just that. Ugh, God, that was awful. Yeah. Basically, wrote a play, or a not a play. Well, a play slash. It was like a ballet. Yeah, but it's like a performance. Yeah. yeah, but there was oh yeah knives and blood and piss and shit and all sorts of other things that were combined into this. Um, people were being killed. Noise marines were taking up instruments. Like it, it, it was like. The worst. It was the concert of the millennium, we'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Concert <laughs> of the millennium. And it, it the final thing was Invite her, only? Yes. Was her being risen up from the deck into the air, hit with a whole bunch of psychic energy, and she slammed back down. It was just a demon that just, just in her place. Still with her memories? That I don't know. I don't remember that part. I think I stopped reading after that. It was really graphic. So Lucius wanted nothing to do with her once she was a demonette? Yeah, this also happens like in the third book of the heresy. Like the Emperor's children descend real hard, real fast. <laughs> yeah. So once you li- once you read uh, the book, I think it's Fulgrim, you get a yeah. very clear picture of what's going on, on that ship. The, like, the Meraviglia, it's like 20 pages. It's like the setup and like build up and like they like... It's described throughout over like a few pages, like what actually transpires. And this was on the ship. This was on the ship. Oh yeah, they this got was on dark. like Fulgrim's flagship. Like, like generally... this was planned and oh yeah, oh yeah. This is this is the the, the level of what they're at. <laughs> what? So before all craziness, when you arrive on the ship, Fulgrim would come walking out in full armor, fully bedecked. Beautiful, lovely, Lucius at his side, other captains over there, and his men marching behind him in lockstep, and ready to go. Presentation. We are perfect. Now, well, Perturabo got a a little look at that. When he went onto the ship, he was um, presented with a parade of people dancing, cutting themselves, cutting others, um... I think it was like flags and stuff made of skin. There was pheromones mm-hmm. and scent going everywhere. And when it came to Fulgrim coming out, he was carried on. <laughs> he was being carried on a plinth. What? Or not a plinth? What are those? Like you know those things that like the bearers will carry you out on? A palaquin. He was on a yeah. He was on a palaquin. What? Surrounded by people having sex. Him completely stripped to the waist down with little boys and girls rubbing oil on his body while yes while people were playing instruments as he was brought out to this is how he just said ha hello to his brother <laughs> first meeting after a while hey bro what's up check me out as like a loyalist 
This was like during the heresy, like like just as they had turned traitor. Welcome to my ship. Oh yeah. my! Like I think yeah. that's actually the one where uh, Pertrabo was being convinced to join the heresy too. Like Pertrabo oh, was this, not... this is supposed to compel me to join. Yeah, he was trying to be convinced, yeah. and even Pertrabo's watching the symphony. He's just irritated by it. He's just like, "What is happening? What is this madness? What? Of course, Pertrabo's gonna say to no, my brother. Yeah, yeah. He just did like, 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 what was it? Basically, you know, when you go to a party and you go, let's have a little drink. Just give me a little drink and you get this little tiny sip. Pertrabo asked for a little drink and Fulgrim walked over the hall of bottle and said, drink, bitch, and just fucking poured it down his throat. Okay, I know we were talking yeah. about TV shows uh, earlier in this podcast. Now that you talked about <laughs> that, um, Emperor's Children's Clannage, Lucius, whatever, that's definitely a reality show to the max. Oh, yeah. Yes. It, it absolutely is. There, there's something else. And Lucius is just... Man. Like, Lucius isn't even really... I think he is technically a captain. He but is. I don't even think he really, like... He technically has soldiers that he generally ignores because they aren't good enough for him. Um, yeah, he does get to that point. But he isn't, he just... like, in the hierarchy of the Emperor's children. He isn't actually that high-ranking. But Fulgrim just, like, loves him. He's, like, kind of this, like, pet... For Fulgrim, Fulgrim mm-hmm. like finds him both annoying and amusing simultaneously. Yes, absolutely, there's no and one which likes also kind of like chafes. <laughs> yeah, because no like everyone else doesn't like Lucius. But there was something else about Lucius that Fulgrim liked. Lucius was the one who figured out that one Fulgrim was being possessed, and two, when they captured what they thought was possessed Fulgrim and had him on Fabius's table. And they're cutting into him and jamming things up inside of him, trying to get the demon to come out. Lucius was the one that realized immediately, oh, oh, he's not possessed. This is actually Fulgrim. Oh, what are we doing? And as he bursts off the table and smacks a bunch of his guys, Lucius just goes down on one knee. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ, what have we done? I'm sorry, Dad. I mean, even that whole exchange is like super messed up because it's basically just like Fulgrim, just like, um, actually, I'm not possessed anymore. Yeah. Like, they don't really show him not, like, defeating the demon he was letting he was letting them do it to him on the table like all the knives and cutting and stuff yeah he's even like oh you need to go just a little bit further just a little more that's not quite hitting the right spot and they're like actually like just like yeah like any like freaking taken movie or hollywood crazy thing where someone's being tortured they were doing that but he was enjoying it and lucius realized he's letting us do this this is Fulgrim. It's not a possessed. Like he's he's he could break out at any point in time. He's letting us do this to him. He's oh. loving it. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! No 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 no! And he was the one that suggested that they capture him, because I remember Lucius was being surrounded by a whole bunch of other captains, and they're pulling out all these weird array of weapons, like brass knuckles, whips, and just crazy mm. stuff. But he convinced them there's something wrong with Dad. There's not. He's not right. We just we just saw. Our dad put his hand up to a tank and turned everybody inside of it into gigantic heaving mounds of flesh and teeth. When has he ever been able to do that? Something is wrong. Because that was the first indication. They Fulgrim had no psychic powers whatsoever, and suddenly, boom, psychic powers. And really potent mm. psychic powers. Does Lucius have psychic powers? 
None whatsoever. No. Lucius is all about the blade. Where, like, even with, like, He's got a whip. He's got a little whippy. Now he does. He For a while there, he was pretty obsessed with dual wielding. He was actually uh, mm. um, chastised by Eidolon for using a dual blade because he had grabbed a claw from an alien and said, why would you use a Xenos tool? Like, you should be more... What was it? What did he say? It was based on like you should know better than that. You should you shouldn't be doing that. But uh, Lucius has always been a dual wielder. He likes to wield two blades. And when it comes to like the decadence of the Emperor's children, how they all dive into something of like excess, his is the excess of combat. His main goal, Lucius's number one goal, is to be the greatest duelist of all time and have no equal on the battlefield. And to, he's almost kind of reached that now. Like he's not big into a lot of other things, but that's the number one thing. Like when it comes to a fight, he's like, oh, yeah. let's cross blades, baby. Yeah, no, he, he's definitely the, because even, um, with Slanesh, part of it is like you can't actually be insane and worship Slanesh. No. Because there's a degree you have to be sane, you have to be conscious of the depravity you're doing. You still need to like, be like that's part of like aware. You have to know that yes. you're debauched. You have to know you've fallen. If you're insane So there's a degree of if you're insane, you can't enjoy all these sensations that are present to you. So, yeah, you have to stay sane. So we're going to give you more drugs to keep all those chemicals in balance so you feel everything. It's like giving someone a gigantic shot of adrenaline before you start to torture them. They're going to stay awake and you can they can feel everything. So that's what Slash is all about. Like, I want you to feel every single thing. You can't be crazy. So, like, there's a degree of, like just raw reality that Lucius has that the other three do not like Lucius is yeah. perfectly aware that he's super messed up and like knows how far he's fallen. And that's part of why, like I started this with like Lucius's original flaw is that he realized what had been taken from him. And his whole thing is just trying to feel human. Yeah. He's also, and he doesn't know how he's also perpetually like upset for the fact that he has lost and he mm. has been killed. Like, the, his gift was that armor from Slanesh to keep bringing him back to life over and over again when somebody killed him. But someone did manage to kill Lucius and actually kill kill him and not bring him back. And Slanesh still brought him back anyway. And even there's a there's a short novel out there where Lucius is kind of just like roaming around trying to find somebody else to fight who's a good champion and wondering why, like, why am I back? Why did I come back? It doesn't make any sense. Like, I lost finds this champion fights him turns out he's a he's another thousand son member named uh nope it's escaping me um but he's a thousand sons member that actually trained himself to use swords he preferred martial combat over the sorcery and uh spell casting mm. they had a battle it went back and forth and when lucius was about to kill him his blade was stopped a couple inches away from this guy's throat and he scoffs like sorcery backhands the guy and starts chastising him like you would use sorcery in our deal in our duel like a coward and you hear no that was me he turns around and he sees standing before him azek araman and he's like oh a new challenger no 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 i have plans for him and for you and 
there is a book that I read recently, well, I started reading recently, where Abaddon, Azek Araman, Lucius the Eternal, and this other guy are all working together to find something called, I, oh, what do they call it? They found some kind of alien tech that they could speak to. I, I can't remember, it was, it was just such a while ago. But yeah, Lucius was working with Abaddon for a short portion of time there. I think uh, Lucius is a member of Abaddon's like inner circle. Council. He is. Yeah. Again, Lucius is like aware enough to still work with others. Like it's very like Karn. You kind of have to just point in a direction. Aramon, you have to like get him to think it's his idea. Like Typhus kind of does what he wants. I wouldn't. Lucius, you could be like, hey. I wouldn't say that about Karn because of all the stuff that we talked about previously. I, you know what? You can point him in a direction; he'll get the job done. But Karn is still capable of like plotting and thought and scheming, and I don't even think he's affected by the nails like everybody else is anymore. Hmm. Like interesting. He doesn't twitch. He doesn't have those spasms True. anymore. He acts very calm and calculated. And honestly, I think him and Lucius are almost on par with knowing exactly what they are, what they're capable of, and what they need to do. Like, would a raving maniac be able to get the two guys he needs to kill in the same place at the same time, have them fight a war where the, both of their forces are decimated, and then bring them into a conflict where they're both going to challenge each other, one guy challenges him to challenges him to a fight. The other guy wants Karn to fight for him. He walks off, waits for them to come back and get ready to fight each other, and then steps in and goes, "I'll be your champion." Wins the fight and then kills them both. Of them. He planned that entire thing down to the letter. They're both very I stand yeah. They're the both of them. Karn and Lucius are on par with being conniving little <laughs> things that will plan something out to like you won't even see it coming. That's fair. Yeah. So who would be the champion of all the champions? Abaddon. No, I yeah, mean I amongst mean, these yeah. four, though. Amongst these four, and in, well, I'm going to be biased. In my opinion, it's Karn. Just because, like, when you... But if he kills Lucius, would he not enjoy killing Lucius? I don't I so think Lucius... he would. He would definitely enjoy it to a point. Wait, could Karn... But you only have to enjoy it? it ever so slightly. But then again, he might not. He may just look at it as... But he's like, it's just... I got the skull. That is enjoying the kill. Or, or That's it pr- it's, it's not enjoyment. It's pride. You have to have pride in it. Yeah. Yes. And I've, if and you I've read... feel any satisfaction or pride okay, so that yeah, he takes you killed Lucius, I think Karn, Karn turns into Lucius. I think, like... On the other hand, I don't think he'd be able to only because to Karn, it's a skull. He doesn't like rever- he doesn't have re- like revere them. In every book I've listened to on him and read about him, he just he kills. He did and carry those moving. eight skulls of the now, council. That, that was for a reason. He'd offered those skulls to Corn. So the, yeah, the only reason he was taking those <laughs> was to give him give those to to Corn as an offering. So they were were so it's like currency. Pile. Yeah, kind of like currency. But he's just, he's so single-minded. I think if, if it came down to it, they were fighting, he would slice Lucius's head off and move on to the next target. If Corn said, go kill Lucius, he'd go, okay. Yeah. You need but to he die. would have pride of 
finishing the job. I don't think he would have pride. I think just like, Corn wants me to kill you, I'm gonna kill you. And that's it. I, was well, I mean, it would I also be cool. a very difficult fight, though. Like, I don't think Karn would just show up and, like... It last, like, no. eight days and eight oh, hours. That, it, it would be brutal. Because, like... Uh, Wage one, your bets well, now. One of my favorite quotes on Karn is from Trials of Asriel. Asriel's fighting Karn, and he's... It's not a monologue, but it's describing them back and forth. And he described... The, the narrator describes Karn as... Azrael had heard of Karn, the Betrayer. The Betrayer was known throughout the galaxy. He had traveled to every corner of the galaxy, a trail of corpses in his wake, and countless skulls claimed for the throne of Korn. Many were those who thought Karn beaten, but just as many were those who prematurely celebrated victory over the world leader's death. The more battered and bloody he became, the greater his rage. The greater his rage, the more battered and bloody his enemies became. And in this sequence of a fight, you can even see the switch. Karn goes from a monster just trying to attack Asriel to this calculated master bladesman where he's like faking Asriel out with an overhand strike and then coming down and catching him across the knee and doing all these different maneuvers that Lucius would do. Parrying, dodging, like catching the weapons and punching him in the face to get him off guard. Like, I think like if you want to see a good fight, Karn versus Lucius would just be like, Oh, mm. that, that would be like a Primark level fight, but without the Primark level scale. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's like Lucius when he's like hopped up on his combat drugs is actually like almost too fast to see. Mm-hmm. Like he, he will move quick enough that your eye can't keep up with him. So, like, Karn going full calculated fury versus, like, Lucius's, like, pure, prideful, drug-infused, like, game of, of, like, dueling. It would be, you know what? Hopefully, if there's an, uh, you know, this whole Amazon thing, maybe they'll do it someday. They'll have uh, a gentle competition between the two of them. I can see see it now. Lucius is... Dipping, diving, ducking through. He's trying to stab Karn, and he goes in, stabs him right through, laughs, but then realizes Karn takes the hit to get him close and go, I've got you now, little worm. Grabs Lucius by the face, chucks him off, the sword's in his chest, he just snaps that sucker off and just goes right after him. Is Fulgrim in the crowd? Fulgrim's like just oh, like Fulgrim with watch. fingers going, Yes, queen, yes, keep going. Is Angron there? Angron? Oh, he Angron, better be there. Angron's doing other stuff. Oh, bad dad. I'm picturing like Karn goes in for the death one. kill. He's <laughs> got his axe like hoisted up and he's just like goes in to kill Lucius. And all you see is Lucius like whip the whip around and it like coils up his arm and he can't move the axe. Oh, yes. And then like, the, like the, the, you see that like the wrist. Yeah, the silent moment where they both realize that they are both caught and neither of them can actually move because, like, Lucius is holding onto the whip and trying and like holding the arm back. Oh god! Yeah, love it would be it would be a beautiful like a choreograph. Oh, the full episode would just be this fight scene. But you know, yeah, I think that right there, that would be the fight that would make Karn take pride and Lucius could take him. Mm-hmm. If it's a one-on-one fight 
in the middle of an arena with people watching and there's stakes on it. The roar of the crowd. The butcher's nails kick in. He is going to take pride in that skull. On the battlefield, not a chance. He's going to cut Lucy's down and keep going because the battle's still raging. But a one-on-one confrontation, no. He's gonna. He's gonna. I mean, Lucius also is known to just kill everyone around a champion, though, just to have those duels. So yep. he likes to make be like, sure. Oh, yeah, he likes to. He, if he finds, if he's like, oh, this person has some martial prowess, he will like kill all of their allies so that he can have the one-on-one because he doesn't want to be like he doesn't want to ruin oh, yeah. it by somebody like shooting one of them in the side or something. Whereas Karn, he'll just go right to the center and find you. In Could there. Corn yeah. bring him back to life if Lucius did kill him? I mean, he has been brought back by Corn before. There's been a couple times where there's there's a champion in Age of Sigmar that when he's surrounded by blood, he pops back up. Karn has done the same thing. In two different occurrences after the Horus Heresy, he was covered in blood by something and he just sat up Undertaker style. <laughs> Corn is not going to let his champion be killed by the champion of Slanesh. No. And then become, not. yeah. He would never let that <laughs> Yeah, happen. it's just, no. Even, like, <laughs> like, whatever magic Slanesh is using to make this happen, Corn would be like, no, blessing of the blood god, immune to magic powers. You can just go straight to hell, Slanesh. So when you become Lucius, are you fully Lucius or do you still have some of your... It takes so, weeks. Yes. So this is how it happens. There's an incident where Lucius is in a duel on the planet that Fulgrim controls with the other Emperor's children. And it's it's literally just like a, a spectacle for Fulgrim to watch. He gets into the arena and he's fighting people. He kills a bunch of guys. But he comes against one captain. I could not remember his name to save my life. But this captain kills Lucius. Cuts him down. And over a period... I, I feel like it was six days, but it could have been longer. But over a period of time, it starts off slowly the armor slightly changes tint to a pink. The guy's hair starts to fall out. Weird lines start to appear on his face, forming a large grid like a maze. Uh, Teeth become like needles. Skin turns white and grotesque. Uh, His feet retract from actual feet into cloven hoofs. And after either the sixth day or the sixth week or however long it takes, Lucius steps out of that that, uh, tent. And he's back. And all that's left is a screaming, wailing face on his armor. Which is the guy. Exactly. It's why there's Does very... Lucius take on the memories of this person? Or that, is he just Lucius? That I actually don't know. I assume I don't think he does. He just takes He can talk to the souls though. He can like summon them out and make the um like his doom siren is he actually gets all of the souls to scream, scream simultaneously. I wonder for so long what it was. Like I kept looking at the model and like, where's the doom siren? I don't see the doom siren. How does he just scream it's, out of it's the armor? I, yeah, I didn't realize that. It was the I never I didn't realize yeah. that for wow. like almost 90% of my hobbying in Warhammer 40k, I did not realize that until maybe like two years ago. I was like, wait a minute. It's the armor that screams. He's the only one that doesn't have an amplifier for like a Doom Siren. Yep. Makes sense. Makes complete sense. I was like, wow. Dark. That should, you know what? In the game, it shouldn't be a flamethrower. It should just be an AoE circle around him and hits everything, just like Nurgle's Rot. Ugh. Just like I pop Lucius down. He is a bomb. He blows up. He does all this damage. Doesn't affect anyone with the mark of Slanesh. Your eardrums pop. Minus two to your weapon skill. <laughs> uh, 
Lucius could be so cool. They honestly all could be if like they keep putting them on the track with like a space marine captain. Mm. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part. Or like not even chapter masters. No. Like yeah, exactly. which is what they are. They, they honestly yeah. like they are like Gulliman and Lucius. Gulliman's probably going to win that fight. But it's going to be closer than he would like it to be. Yeah. Same with Lionel Johnson. Same with going against Karn. If we Armin and Typhus like, aren't really oh, sorry, sorry, combat no. focused. No, they're not. But, I mean, Ty Typhus can, but he's better. Like, honestly, he's better as a psyker, which is kind of bad for him. <laughs> yeah, just like, that's the only thing. Well, not the only thing, but it's one of the things I dislike about lore versus the tabletop it's definitely not represented these guys in the lore are like heavyweight juggernauts of the in their class but on the tabletop yeah they're just like a lieutenant like karn is not anything to be really scared of what he should be. like if you look at sigmar like the lucius equivalent is sigvald yeah mm. like, like out of all four of them lucius is the one in the tabletop sense that has the most killing potential, I think, personally. Mm. Just looking at his stats, what he can do, what he's capable of, if you had to pick one to put on the table and fight somebody, I'd pick Lucius. As much as I love Karn, I would definitely pick Lucius. Especially when they keep him on that 25 mil base. Oh, I love oh. that. I love that little that little avenue of like, he's on a 25 mil base and I can move through models and do all these crazy little things. I'm coming. I'm coming for you. I know. Everyone that says, like, oh, when they bring, you know, Emperor's Children release, they'll put Lucius on, like, a 40 mil base. I was like, if they do, they will ruin half of the, like, the martial the prowess of yeah. that model. Well, I love <clears> him. <throat> like, like, part of it is Lucius. Like, you can't do the half inch thing on against a wall with him. You can't hide from him. Yeah, you can't. In, in ninth edition, that was favorite time because the one time I tried it, it worked and it was beautiful. I took Lucius, I put him inside a unit of Terminators, and because they were all two inches away from each other, he was able to heroically intervene through the unit and touch the enemy and kill the champion and then retreat behind them. There's nothing you could do about it. I yeah. loved it. It was so silly. But oh. so beautiful. Yeah. It's like, by the way, you fight last. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and, oh, no. and, and just and it's just so just to be clear, I fight first, and uh, all my friends here they fight first too. So we're gonna have that bit of fun today. <laughs> Emperor's Children and Ninth was way more fun than slaves to darkness 10th csm yeah. nonsense i got to play them twice i just i fell in love with the play style and i rapidly made models and now we're in 10th and so they're taking a break oh, i know yeah <sighs> the speedy boys I, just, um, I, I think i'm just gonna wait it out wait it out and see what happens see what the next rendition of the chaos champions are because you know Lucius is getting a new model he has to get a new model there's no way he's not getting a new model this edition he needs to. He he needs, but it needs to still be on that twenty-five mil. But even if you want to like primaris size and make him bigger, yeah. have him like pirouetting on his cloven hoof to you know, be me, on that. Me, tiny meet base. us halfway instead of twenty-five. Put him on that weird new twenty-eight point five base they have now because you have to transfer all models over to that thing now. Put him on one of those. Hell, I mean, he might even do good on a 
on a 32, but if you put him on a 40, that's it. Doesn't make any sense. It's true. With how fast even the 32 is, is too big. Yeah, with how fast he big. is in the lore, he should be able to slip through your. Own, he should be able to walk right through enemies and get right to the guys he wants to kill. Yeah, hundred percent. I do not. love that he has precision in in tenth and. Yes. It's so funny when people are like, oh, I charge into Lucius' squad. And you're like, all right, well, I'll just rip your warlord out. Yeah. He's like, all right, cool. Get ready for this bit of fun. Why? Oh, he has precision. <laughs> what? And, and I fight first. Wait, what? Look at uh, how many attacks does he have? Eight. <laughs> Deal with that. Eight, what is it? AP three, two damage? Only AP two, two damage. Still. Oh, man. I just, they, I can see the champion. I will face you. Looks down. He has like seventeen holes in his chest. Lucius just stand there going, mm, "You taste good." <laughs> no, I think between the four of the like Lucius, I love Lucius. But yeah. that could be. I, <laughs> like, like, you love I love Lucius. Lucius would be I the love Kern. We should show. do with that, the other two. The other two. I love can, Lucy. <laughs> yeah, you love Lucy. I love Karn. The other two can just go fight it out somewhere. But I, I, I but I have, I have like a deep respect for Karn. Karn is like a complicated character mm -hmm. in a way that like, I don't know. Armin's just kind of like sad boy. He's like, he's like the he's like the Gerard Way of the forty first millennium. It also says a lot about us when we pick out of the four champions, then two of them have access to ridiculous psychic powers and all sorts of stuff. We pick the two that have no psychic powers whatsoever and focus in one category and one category only. Punching people right. in the face. <laughs> I mean, Lucius has got some, like, shenanigans going around him, and so does Karn. Karn's got some, like, you talked about, oh. like, the lightning sorcery, like, flowing off and like... Can you imagine Karn and Armin? Armin's like, all right, I'm going to see the future. And just like, wait, where's Karn? And it's just like, <laughs> oh, there's like a big, like, horn, like, blurry point around his future. And Armin's just like, oh, no. And then there's like <laughs> oh, an no. axe comes through and takes him out. That's <laughs> like, wait, wait. wait. Yeah. Uh, be a quick death. <laughs> if they ever try to read the future on what's going to happen with them and Karn, it's just an axe coming through the words of their heads. Like, oh. Oh, okay, it's gonna happen at some point. Great. Like, all right, all right. So like they ever have their like chaos conferences, and they're like all like at the same table, and they're just like, all right, no one offend anyone. Yeah. <laughs> what I do want to know is what Karn's end goal is. We know what the other three three guys' end goal is, but do we even know what Karn's end goal is? I don't know if we know what Lucy's end goal is either. Oh, his, his end goal is to be the best duelist out of everyone out there in the entire galaxy. Yeah, but that's more like an ambition. It's not actually like a goal with an end. end. Goal, yeah. See, I, th I think for him, it is a goal. <laughs> for Lucy, like anybody else, it's an ambition. For Lucy, it's like, this is my freaking goal. I'm, I'm doing this. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, no, I, I can't think of like what Karn's like end state is. Like well, when, was, when is he like, ah, oh, yes, I'm done. It was the, it was the end of the, it was the end of the audio drama Chosen of Corn when everything was said and done and everybody's dead except for this old guy, Mavin, Bitterspear. He looks at Karn and says, why do I still live? And he's like, you're weak. Corn doesn't want your skull. Well, then what of me now? And what of the Blood Crusade? Karn goes, oh, don't worry. My task is not yet finished. Not by a long way. 
So he has a task to do. We just don't know what it is. Mm. Mm. Unless it is just collecting skulls for corn. Maybe that, he wants a bigger collection than corn himself. I think he wants a Primark skull. <gasps> oh! That would be a prize to hand over to a Chaos God. Be like, I am a space marine who killed a Primark single-handedly on my own. Which of the Primarchs do you, dropped? Which of the Primarchs do you think he would? I'd love to see him kill Rabute. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love that. I, was thinking that. Like, I don't would think Gullen really would ever give him the chance. No, he wouldn't. Rabute would be too too tactical on it. You know, you actually, you know who would give him? You know who would actually fight him? <laughs> who? Corvus Corax. I was literally just thinking that. I was, li- was literally. He's the only one I think head. he would actually do the one on one with Corax because Corax would think he could kill him. Oh, he absolutely think he could. He'd be co- he it wouldn't be cocky, but he would just be like, "I'm Primark. You're you." Hmm. Yeah. Like, Korax would truly believe that he could just, like, you know, and I have do his, like, I have a feeling, I have a strong feeling Karma would just, like, like, kick him really hard. (laughs) Really, really. He'd be like, I'm going to turn into my bout of ravens. And he's just, like, get, like, the corn, like, nope. Yeah. (laughs) He's just, like, on top of him, punching Korax in the face, going, You thought my dad was bad? You ain't seen nothing yet, son. Wham, wham, wham. I'm trying to think of who else would Vulcan wouldn't. No. Maybe the Khan? Oh, the Khan. Jagatai Khan? Definitely do that. But the but I actually you know what though? I don't know if Karn would win that one. Oh he wouldn't. Jagatai is like horrifyingly. Jagatai like, can beat Fulgrim, man. Like Jagatai yeah. is like Like as 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 good of a duelist as Fulgrim is, Jagatai, in my opinion, is better he's better and the scary thing is that you don't know what he's capable of he made that apparent in the horus heresy books and the novels by saying that like to fulgrim you shout your accomplishments from the top of a mountain you let everybody around you know what you are capable of and what you have done you know nothing of me none of you know anything about me or what I can do or what I am capable yeah. of and trust me brother if you ever cross blades with me I would leave you choking I said that to Fulgrim oh, Jagada- wow shrouded he's, in mystery he's one of my favorite Primarchs like if I yeah. was ever he's a to queen. go like have a loyalist face for me there'd be White Scars like Jagata is just he's so undervalued he's so cool I never thought anything of the White Scars at all. Like, when I first got into the hobby, I looked at their armor, them, their whole deal. I was like, ugh, blah, 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 blah. I don't like them. Then I read about Jagatai. I was like, I am mildly a White Scar fanboy just because of him. I got, um, this was years ago. They they did a novella about the White Scars because, like, the White Scars don't really appear in the heresy. No, they don't. Like, at all. They're, they're taken out of it completely. But Separate Brotherhood arm. of the Storm is like dedicated to them, and I I got it. It's like one of those like limited edition Ooh. novellas, and Jagatai is just like so amazing through the yep. whole thing because he's not like cocky, he's not arrogant, he's very reasonable, he's very measured, he's very assured. Yep. He like seeks counsel, he thinks things through, and you're like, wow, this guy actually like acts how you would expect a prime. Like he doesn't seem to have all the same flaws. He's almost like he like encourages his um, legionaries to be like 
multidisciplinary and he encourages them to be poets. And like, honestly, the white scars are kind of the, like if the emperor's children didn't fall they they have similar like ambitions in being like well-rounded and diplomatic and like concerned and thoughtful. No, mm-hmm. Jagged Eyes, I'm like, honestly, super under recognized. There was a, I can't remember who said it, but there was a quote out there from like a, a real person who reading the Horus Heresy said that when you read the last few books of the Horus Heresy, the uh, the last three, there's a good portion of it where it's just the best parts are battle, 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 Jagatai talking to somebody. Battle, 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 Jagatai talking to somebody. Battle, 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 Jagatai threatening somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He's just so like, no, that, that's the one where I could see like, actually, you know, it would be a good uh, fight. Lehman Russ versus Karn. Mm. Anger versus anger, and Karn has corn on his side. Both of them just drop their weapons and start fist fighting. <laughs> just oh, fist yeah. fighting. I can see that. I can see it now. Lehman Russ just goes, "Okay, chucking these way. I don't need them." And Karn goes, "Oh yeah, I don't need this either." It's like, oh, this is gonna right. be good. They both walk. I mean, Karn's taking anger onto shot. the face and survive. <clears throat> Barely. But that was before he was the champion of corn. That is very, very true. And there's been numerous times in the books that I've listened to where Karn is immensely physically stronger than a lot of people around him. Like Azrael. He's pushing Azrael back with one hand on like Azrael has two hands on his sword, up against his chest, putting every bit of weight and strength he has into this, and Karn is still pushing him back single-handedly. Yeah. The guy's like, just, but look, look at his arm. Just <laughs> the one arm. Just, yeah. boy. I just, I like to imagine this other arm, just this long, this skinny, lanky little thing. He goes, I just do Jim Day on the left, nothing else. He's, he's got the Trogdor arm, just like... <laughs> Yeah, uh, Family Guy when Quagmar comes outside after realizing what the internet is, he just goes, uh, "I gotta go get the mail." His arms like three times the size of his body. Yeah. Ugh. All right. <laughs> okay. I, I feel like we could, uh, you know what? Maybe we'll have to do an episode someday about like the grudge matches of like <sighs> different Ooh, characters. Yes. Just, just talking about like like, like very like um. What's that, what's that show? Day. <clears throat> like de- like death Ooh. battles, only theory ba- theory Warhammer battles of what we think would happen and who should fight who. Yeah. And why Lucius and Karn would kill basically everyone. If they ever teamed up, the entire galaxy's in so much trouble. It's a good thing Slanesh and Korn hate each other, because yeah. if they didn't, those two would be like able to work together, and yeah, Abaddon would not be the War Master. Well, I mean, like, you know what? I think the only reason they would be able to work together right now is because of Abaddon holding them together like glue. Once Abaddon... Oh yeah, no, but I'm pretty sure you have to keep them like, uh, separate. You're on one side of the table, you're on the other side of the table. No, 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 you're not taking the long side, you're taking the short side. You on that short side, and you on that short side. But we're... we're (laughs) Abaddon's got like two leashes, just like holding them... (laughs) Yeah. Everyone else is talking while deliberating while he's just holding them both back from each other. Like, you just chill, chill out. Just relax. <laughs> well, any last thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I think my last thought should be another show. Speaking of the champion of all the champions, the one who has the favor of all, 
the Chaos Gods. And we're not talking about Bellacor, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about the Despoiler himself. I would love to talk about Abaddon with you guys. Angry Ron. Angry. No, not Angry Ron. Angry Angry Dawn. Angry Dawn. Angry Dawn, Fabledon, (laughs) or my personal favorite to those out there who've never heard this one, Abadabadudon. That's what I used. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. I remember way back in the day when we had the little time. I was like, "And Abadabadudon's gonna charge right over here, and everything's good." <laughs> and now I'm gonna pick his arm up because it fell off and just keep going. Have a Abadabadingon. Ooh, the war something of chaos. The fa- on the fail master of chaos. I look forward. He is the fail master. Mm. I, don't, I don't think he's a failure. That's why I want to talk about it. I want to change people's minds. Oh, Abaddon is not That's a true. failure. Change my mind. You know what? Okay, the whole Vash, and we'll, we'll talk about it in that episode. But the Vashtor arc completely changed Abaddon. Oh yeah, it's definitely much for the better. It's like they definitely changed him for the better. And uh, I mm. would love to talk about the 13 Black Crusades and what his goals were and what his actual goals were. Mm. And on that mysterious note, I want to thank you all for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to Chaos Divided wherever you're listening from. And you can find us on Instagram and YouTube at Chaos Divided 40K. If you're a fan of the show and want to join our growing Wholesome Hammer community, you can find us at patreon.com slash chaos divided 40k and you'll also be supporting the show if you'd like to connect with us directly we're at nurgle underscore snurgle and at blushing noise marine as well as at team blood god on instagram and youtube i don't post that often <laughs> doesn't matter okay, okay. <laughs> we can still connect with you i just like being honest and until next time <laughs> bye-bye Ciao for now. see everybody